Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Me Undies. I have lots of kinds of underwear in my drawer, but I have to tell you that my favorite kind of underwear is me undies. I love them so much, and Colette, my wife, is so jealous of them that when Mother's Day came up this year and she wanted a variety of different gifts for Mother's Day, one of the things she wanted was some me undies underwear and also their lounge pants. I have a pair of me undies lounge pants, and Colette deserves a super soft, super comfortable pair of Me Undies lounge pants. There are styles for everyone from all black classics to fun, expressive prints, and they come in sizes extra small to 4XL, guaranteeing a flattering cut for everybody. And like I said already, they have unmatched comfort. Their signature fabric is as soft as a warm hug from your favorite sweater. It's also breathable, stretchy, and oh so comfy, making it ideal for all day wear. MeUndies are also responsibly sourced. They use sustainably sourced materials and work with partners that care for their workers. Get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at MeUndies.com slash HPST. That's MeUndies.com slash HPST for 20% off plus free shipping. MeUndies. Comfort from the outside in. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a mental health platform that provides direct online counseling and therapy services via web or phone text communication. You don't even need to use flu powder in order to access a therapist through BetterHelp. I think we can all tell in book five that if you keep your feelings bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off of your chest if you don't have access to Dumbledore's office. I know in my life, therapy has helped me identify patterns to help me interrupt ones that I don't feel like are healthy and find better ways to cope. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash sacred text today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash sacred text. Chapter 29, The Lost Diadem. Neville, what the, how? But Neville had spotted Ron and Hermione and with yells of delight was hugging them too. The longer Harry looked at Neville, the worse he appeared. One of his eyes was swollen yellow and purple. I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And I'm Caspar Terkyle. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. A big shout out to another local group that meets virtually, Harry Potter and the Flu Network, led by Saba. And we love that we're seeing more and more digital groups getting together. Obviously, it's going to be difficult to gather in person for some time. So if you want to join a local group that meets online, check out our website, harrypottersacredtext.com to find out more. So Casper, for our story this week, I was like, I don't want to hear from Casper. I don't want to hear from me. I want to hear from one of my other best friends. 
So I called my friend Amanda, who's a spy. So we can't say her last name or what she does. Oh, shoot. But she's a spy. But here's her story on justice. (laughs) Hi, Amanda. Hey, Vanessa. So the theme that we have this week is justice. And I thought there's no one in my life with a better sense of justice than Amanda. So I was wondering if you would please tell us a story. So my story is a little bit of a memory that I stumbled upon. My sister and I were recently helping my parents clean out like a storage closet and there were a true treasure trove of just like old documents and including like our kindergarten homework and what seems like a fan fiction piece that my sister wrote about Abraham Lincoln. So it was like we really go just back in time. And so there's this one document that we found and it's labeled alternate plan. And it's just beautiful. So it's it's like all yellowed and there's a stain in the right hand corner and there's two columns. And one column is rudeness and one column is penalty. And it's, I have a vague memory of creating this document with my sister. I'll read it before, before I get started. But it looks like it was a document that we created to punish ourselves for behaviors that we did to each other. So it's a micro, you know, just the two of us kind of behavior list. So I'll start. Number one, forgetting please or thank you, penalty, clean the guinea pig's cage. Number two, pushing, shoving, kicking, etc. Penalty, going to bed without dinner. Side note, which is a thing that we never, that was like not a punishment that we ever <laughs> had. So this is like a really heavy hitter list. All right. Number three, interrupting, penalty, pack both ballet bags for a week. So don't just pack your own ballet bag, pack your sister's ballet bag. Uh, Number four, name calling. Penalty, make your bed and the person who is being in Sultan's bed as well. Number five, refusing to give a kiss or a hug, cleaning up the playroom, little play area that we had. And number six, not doing favors for each other. The penalty is not being able to read your book, which is my punishment, or play Barbies, which is my sister's punishment. This is like Hammurabi's code. I know. (laughs) It's just like, wow, I don't, what an insight into the mind of children. So it just brought me back. I think thinking about seeing this list, I was thinking a lot about one, like, how did we get here? Like, how did we get to create this list? I don't know. I'm guessing it was some combination of my mom just being like tired of us being rude to each other. I think we were at an age where we were like always bickering and my sister, there's only two of us. She's my younger sister. And my mom was probably like half like exhausted of like, this is boring. Like you guys are rude to each other and it's very boring. And also half like, I want you guys to get along. Like you're, you only have each other. And so probably felt like maybe we would like stop doing something if we created our own list of repercussions. And and I think, in, and then maybe the other part is like, Maybe she knew we would be stricter for ourselves than if she gave us the punishment. I think kind of like when you go to a flea market and it's like name your price and you you maybe overpay for something. I think it's like a similar like you kind of punish yourself more. Maybe she just like ran out of ideas and she's like, this is you anything you guys got, like try something. <laughs> um, and then the other thing it just made me think about is what we thought was a qualifying event, like what qualified as like rudeness behavior, the crime. And then what we thought was like truly a punishment. <laughs> we were like, 
<laughs> if you had to pack your sister's ballet bag, you know, nothing could be worse than that. So it makes me think like if my boss asked me to like punish, like, okay, like what happens if you come in late or like, don't do turn in that assignment on time? Like, I don't know. Maybe I would be like fired. She's fired. My <laughs> boss, like, I don't know that. Okay. Well, now you're fired, I guess. So it just, it, it just is an interesting thought for me on like, do you punish yourself more? Are you more accountable? Like, do you take the repercussions more seriously when you are the one who comes up with them? It's revealing on like what you care about and what you don't want to lose when you have to punish yourself. So much about this is so interesting. It's also funny. It seems dramatic that you guys did the no dinner thing, given that that wasn't a punishment in your lives. It was like you read Harry Potter too many times and we're like, we need some sort of draconian punishment in order for mom to know that we're taking this seriously. Exactly. And I think you're exactly right that like, why was it demeaning or painful to pack a bag or make a bed, right? Like what's so horrible about that? But also I'm just curious if like even the quote unquote crimes were the crimes that your mom was thinking about. Was she really like, Amanda, you didn't say thank you to your sister. Right, right. Like was she right? What did what did my mom have in mind? Was it like really like two of these things? Like, I don't know, like don't forget to say please or thank you and like give each other hugs. Like I think I was like in a rejection. Oh, there was like a time when I would like just like run away from my sister when she tried to hug me. So maybe like that was it. And then I, we were just like, okay, well, we're going to, if we're going to make a list, you're going to have to add stuff to it. So I don't know, like, here's this one thing that one time happened. Yeah. The other thing is right. That our like sense of justice is always punishment based. Like you guys could have come up with a positive reinforcement list. You could have been like every time we hug each other. I don't know what you could have demanded from your parents, but there could have been like a, a unionizing element to this where you like started to make demands. Like if we go five days without doing any of these behaviors, we get an extra half hour of TV time or, you know, whatever it is. And so it's always that our sense of justice is punishment based. And I don't know, like, I think that as we as a society evolve, like it's becoming clearer and clearer that that is not an effective strategy for getting people to behave in a certain way, right? We certainly know that the death penalty doesn't deter anybody from egregious crimes. Right. I don't, I would be highly skeptical that my sister and I were like about to just kick each other and be like, wait a second, like <laughs> I'm going to have to lo- go to bed without dinner. I don't know. Like, I, I don't think that we were doing that right. But versus thinking like, if I like affirmatively like get five good days in a row, I can get this reward. Like then you're working towards something. And that's so interesting that we just, yeah, I don't know why we were, it was totally framed that way. I have two last questions. One is, do you still ever deny your sister hugs? And two, do you still sometimes kick her? (laughs) I never kick her. And I don't know that I ever did. I think that was one of those like, oh yeah, yeah, let's add that. So they know we're serious. I sometimes I, I, she's stronger than me. So she does hug me quite tight, but, um, I try to, I try to hug back. So <laughs> not frequently. I'm not a frequent hug denier. What's the penalty when you don't hug back? Uh, when I don't hug back now, I have to like pack her uh, backpack. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. You know, some things never change. <laughs> so degrading. <laughs> Amanda, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to tell us this adorable story <laughs> and help us understand what justice is. Yeah, you're welcome. This is justice in the eye of a seven-year-old. So, 
Love you guys. Bye. First of all, I love Amanda. Second of all, I love that idea that they created those punishments for things that they never even did (laughs) just to like indicate how serious they were taking this whole idea. And I I think there's something in that that we should track in this chapter. Just that idea of like the image of over punishment to somehow correct behavior or, or like the idea of that. I mean, even the idea that the two are related at all. We see the Caros loving punishing the kids and there's a literal war insurrection, right? So the idea that we think punishment prevents behavior or impacts behavior is just wild that we've been doing this for like 3,000 years at least and we still have not understood the idea that these two things are not related. But before we talk more about the Caros and Co., let's do our 30-second recap. And this is not so much an action-packed chapter as a character-packed chapter. There's like one person after another being like, I'm here too, and we're celebrating. And we find out that Jenny is a jealous type. (laughs) Okay, don't steal my thunder. I'm about to tell you all about it. I'm so sorry. On your mark, get set, go. Okay, so they're walking through the corridor and Harry's like, oh, but how could this not be found? And it's like, fine. Um, And end up like reveal room of requirement because that's the place that you can always find what you need. And there's been like more bunk beds, not bunk beds, um, the place where you sleep in hammocks that have been appearing every time a new person shows up and like all of the DA is there and like Ernie's there and and, and, and Luna comes back and Ginny's back and then suddenly like Cho Chang and Lavender Brown are there and like everyone is there and it's wonderful. And then Harry's like, we need to find uh, Diadem. No, yes. And then uh, Luna takes him. Wow, that was chaotic because I was looking at the timer and it made me so nervous <laughs> that I didn't have time to tell you about some of the most important things. So I'm hoping you will. I feel like you did. What did you miss? Well, the whole like Harry's like, I have to do it alone. Oh, right. Again. Okay, sure. Again. <laughs> All right. 30 seconds. Here we go. Three, two, one. So Neville is explaining to the trio what's been going on at Hogwarts. And he's like, it's so nice that you came just to save us. And Harry's like, dude, that's super not why I'm here. (laughs) And then everybody arrives because they've been using the coins to communicate. And they're like, "Okay, what are we doing to save Hogwarts? And Harry's like, super nothing. I need to find the diadem. (laughs) Cho, will you show me? And Ginny's like, Cho? No, go with Luna. And then at the end of the chapter, Luna is like, there's the diadem. And then the caro calls Voldemort. (gasps) And for those of you at home, I mind touching the dark mark. You didn't get that because it's an audio format. But you could probably feel it in your bones. Yeah, I called Voldemort, everyone. (laughs) Sorry. So I feel like the Caros is a good place to start as we're thinking about justice, because as Neville tells us, Hogwarts is nearly unrecognizable. He basically says it's not Hogwarts anymore, in part because the system of governance, the justice system within the school, it's not just changed, like it is gone. He describes the Caros as liking punishment. So punishment as a system of control rather than a system of fairness. So it feels like Actually, the biggest change that we see as Harry and the trio come back to Hogwarts is the change in the justice system in the school. That's interesting. I even think we can go a step further than that and say it's become a prison. These kids are now required to be there. Only a certain kind of student is required to be there. And then they expel you to sort of solitary confinement, right? Like they kicked Luna out because Xenophilius was, according to them, misbehaving. So 
it's become a pawn in the ecosystem of punishment in the like Death Eater regime. It's not first and foremost an educational institution anymore. It's like not a school. It's an internment camp, right? Like these kids are being held against their will and taught certain lessons and resisting. Yeah. And I mean, what's so interesting about Neville's story is he's explaining how often adults or parents are being influenced by the impacts on the students, right? We're going to do this to your kid to stop the parent from doing something. But in Neville's case, it's the other way around because he is leading the insurrection in the school. And so they go after his grandma to try and stop him internally. And so you see that that way in which punishment is doled out to someone else if they can't get to you directly, right? Because Neville seems impervious. And because he's a pure blood, there's some still some status protection other than if you were born from from muggle parents. Yeah, that idea of justice is so interesting and has such a long history to it, right? Because I jokingly brought up Hammurabi's code to Amanda, but Hammurabi's code included, like if I were to accidentally kill your brother, It's not that I get killed. It's that you kill my brother. And I would argue that then my brother becomes a victim in addition to me. And, you know, we know this all the time. Hanna Senesh, who's a woman who I admire a great deal. She parachuted into Hungary in the 40s as an attempt to, like, free Jews. And they tortured her mother. It just becomes such an ethical question to me. She's often... Hannah Senesh is often considered a hero for still not giving up any information. And I don't know if I agree with that, right? Like her mother didn't agree. Yeah, parachute into Hungary. I'm willing to risk my life for it, right? Just like Luna didn't agree to that with Xenophilius and Neville's grandmother didn't agree to that with Neville's misbehavior. And I think there's often this story of like, I condone this. Yeah, torture me. That's not always the case. Right. But we do this all the time, right? Locking up someone in prison doesn't just punish the person in prison. It punishes their entire family, everyone who loves them and counts on them. Absolutely. What's so interesting is that in the text, I mean, we've mentioned both Luna and Xenophilius. We've mentioned Neville and his grandmother. Both of those, you know, the other person is kind of supporting the one who's taking action. And there's a sense of, you know, that it's okay that I'm suffering because of your actions because I support you. But I'm curious, you know, elsewhere in the text, if we see examples where that's not the case, my mind goes to two places. One is to Hermione's parents, who, of course, now are in Australia. And Hermione made the decision to get them out of their way for their own safety. But who knows how they would have reacted in this situation? They have always been supportive of Hermione. But the stakes at this point are so much higher that I can absolutely imagine they were like, we got to get you out of this. You're under (laughs) under age. Like, you're not making this decision. You're going to dentistry school. Or if you look at someone like Seamus's mother, who in the earlier books was extremely worried about what Harry was doing, or at least how how she understood what he was doing. And so I'm curious, it's interesting that we don't see those stories so much here in book seven as we did earlier. And I, I wonder if it's either because the world has changed so much for the worse, you know, the, the death eaters are out in the open, that Seamus's mom is like, absolutely, yeah, like we all need to do what we can. Or if those characters have somehow receded in the story. And I'm just curious what we make of that, that we that those people aren't so visible. Yeah. And I mean, there just have to be stories about those people, right? I took one ethics class in college and one of the books that we read was amazing. And it, it was about women rock climbers and whether hmm. it was ethical once they became mothers 
to do really risky rock climbing. And it was interviews with the women, with the husbands and wives of those women. And then if the children were old enough with the children and the women were like, it is important for the rock climbing community that women are in some ways better than men at this. And like, it's really important that I climb and that I teach my children that like they should follow their dreams. And, and often the partners and the children were like, I hate it. She should not be risking her life for this. It really hurts my feelings that she is willing to risk her life and not be my partner in order to pursue this dream. So I think there are a lot of examples like this in real life. And yeah, I think it's a flaw in the text that we don't really see it. How interesting that that study looked at mothers and not fathers. I feel like that in itself is a whole thing. (laughs) It acknowledged that, right? The book was very aware of that. So part of this question to me, Casper, that we've been dealing with about the justice within the school, we have to turn to Snape Mm. because this is all happening under Snape's sort of authority, right? Like puppet authority. And I just don't think that Snape is doing enough here. Absolutely not. The fact that the Cruciatus curse is being used, I think that he could make an appeal to the Caros that, oh, we want to eventually win these kids over to our side. Torturing them isn't going to help. Don't use the Cruciatus curse, right? Like the fact that the Cruciatus curse is being used on students under Snape's eye There are options for resistance here that he is just letting slide and he's allowing injustice to just permeate the walls of this school. This is so interesting because, of course, Snape doesn't show up in this chapter, but the next chapter is all about him. And I'm wondering if this helps us understand something about how we conceive of justice, because Snape is passionate about vindicating himself from things he did as a younger person. I think a lot of his commitment to the cause of overcoming Voldemort and aligning himself with Dumbledore was to undo something that he knew he had done that was bad. But I don't think that he is oriented necessarily about the care and well-being of others. I mean, we see this from the first pages of book one and the way he treats Neville. I don't feel like he cares about the students or what's happening to them. Yeah, he's like, I have one purpose, which is to save Harry because I loved Lily. And it's this like one to one relationship. And I will do everything to save Harry, to vindicate myself and to sort of have a balance on the scales of like good and bad that I've done. But other than that, I don't care. Absolutely. He's a Mesopotamian from from a couple thousand years ago, right? It's like an eye for an eye, but in this direct exchange. But a different view of justice, which I think we see from the students who are all returning, is an orientation towards liberation, right? Like they don't necessarily know these first years, but they're like, we've got to protect Hogwarts. We've got to protect this institution. We've got to protect our society. And in fact, they're taking great risks for their own lives and even their own families, as we've talked about, in order to serve that, I hesitate to use this phrase, but like that greater good. And so it feels like the boundaries of justice are just very different for a character like Snape and for a character like Neville or or even someone like Cho Chang. Like, you know, she has no reason to show up here relationally. Those relationships were broken. She was humiliated. She's showing up because she cares, let alone Lavender Brown. So I just have enormous respect for the commitment and the sense of justice for these for these young people who were showing up in this fight. And Harry does them a disservice. And I I think that's another piece in the text we should point to, which is they are looking to him for leadership. They think this is the moment that revolution has come. 
And he too, like Snape, is only thinking about that one thing. Now, it's partly clarity of mission, but I think it's also partly a lack of an imagination to involve others. And it takes Ron, who for the first time I was like, oh, now I understand why Ron really is at the heart of this trio. It's because he's finding ways for people who are unexceptional to be part of the solution. Like that's always been his role. And it's his vision that says, no, they can be useful. Who can help us find the diadem? I just loved looking at these characters on the outside and the the different way in which they have a sense of justice from maybe the characters at the center. Yeah. And I think that they are modeling a super important form of justice, which is a crime of some sort has been committed. It is not my job to seek revenge, but it is my job to try to fix the system to make the world more just. I wonder if we are capable of seeing crimes as an opportunity to blame a system rather than an individual person, right? And I'm not saying that there shouldn't be personal accountability, but I think at minimum, we should always be looking for both. That if somebody stole, is it because we don't have a universal income? (laughs) And every time a crime is committed, it was about holding someone potentially personally accountable, which we can talk about revenge as a form of justice, or if we can say, this is an invitation for us to try to make the world more just. And Cho and Lavender and Parvati and Seamus and Dean, right? Like they are arguing for that other thing. It's like they're not there to torture the Caros. They're not there to torture Snape in revenge. They're there to say, and so we are going to get Hogwarts back. We are going to turn this school into Mm. the place that it should be. This is a, a sign to us that we need to make the world a more just place. I love that. And it it takes me back to one of my favorite sayings, which holds that tension of individual and collective responsibility, which is, yes, someone is guilty, but we are all responsible. And I think that's what's illustrated so beautifully here. And we see it even within the way in which, again, the different houses are coming together. And there's this lovely image of the Room of Requirement that it has the banners of Hufflepuff and of Ravenclaw and of Gryffindor. And of course, you know, we've had plenty of conversations about the house system and the way that Slytherin isn't able to be part of that solution, which I think if there was ever going to be like an eighth book that was good, it would be about the way in which the seeds are sown maybe for that kind of falling apart again. But yeah, I, I love that point that actually when something goes wrong like this, it's not just about blaming the individual, but it also should cause questions about why did this happen? What were the contributing factors that led to, led to this crime? And I think that Slytherin's banner not being up speaks exactly to this point. Mm. Of course, they're not there. They've been trained and brought up since the very beginning to not be part of the resistance. And any individual who might like want to might be like, this is really unfair what's going on here. They would have extra hurdles in order to get into the room of requirement. How do they find out about it from the Slytherin common room? They weren't in the in Dumbledore's army, so they don't have a coin. They could be a first or second year. So that could just be because they weren't there at the time. And then also they would have to convince the other people in the room of requirement, like, no, no, I really mean it. The extra hurdles that a Slytherin would have to go through in order to be part of the resistance and part of the justice movement, I would say that they're prohibitive. And so, of course, they're not there. I don't think that this is an indictment of each individual Slytherin. This is an indictment, again, of the house system. 
Mm. Yeah, it's kind of set up those barriers that any individual choice, it, it, it's nearly impossible to overcome. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Me Undies. I have lots of kinds of underwear in my drawer, but I have to tell you that my favorite kind of underwear is Me Undies. I love them so much, and Colette, my wife, is so jealous of them that when Mother's Day came up this year and she wanted a variety of different gifts for Mother's Day, one of the things she wanted was some Me Undies underwear and also their lounge pants. I have a pair of Me Undies lounge pants, and Colette deserves a super soft, super comfortable pair of Me Undies lounge pants. There are styles for everyone from all black classics to fun, expressive prints, and they come in sizes extra small to 4XL, guaranteeing a flattering cut for everybody. And like I said already, they have unmatched comfort. Their signature fabric is as soft as a warm hug from your favorite sweater. It's also breathable, stretchy, and oh so comfy, making it ideal for all day wear. MeUndies are also responsibly sourced. They use sustainably sourced materials and work with partners that care for their workers. Get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at MeUndies.com slash HPST. That's MeUndies.com slash HPST for 20% off plus free shipping. MeUndies. Comfort from the outside in. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason... You can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Casper, I want to speak to another injustice that I think might be seen as a minor injustice, but I also think is really important in this chapter, which is the injustice of these children having school time robbed from them. And I know that I'm thinking that of that because of COVID, but like right. this is just a year where they're not getting an education. All of these kids, Luna is being plucked from it. Obviously, Harry, Ron and Hermione, but like the entire school, none of them are learning. And we have decided as a society that children should not have to work in order to survive, that adults should take care of them financially so that they have the opportunity to get educated until that time. And I think that that is a form of justice, a a positive idea of justice that we have Mm. created. It's like one of the great changes in culture in the last 150 years is this idea that we separate children from labor and give them an education instead. And I just hate any time we see that just idea robbed from children, which happens constantly because of underfunded schools, right? Like, 
And I just want to call it out that it's happening at Hogwarts now, that it's completely unjust that children are being robbed from education, whether it be because their school is bad, so they're robbed from an entire education, whether it's because of COVID that they are missing a year of real school or two years of real school, or if it's because, you know, a Nazi regime moves into your school and you have to fight instead of educate. Yeah. I mean, all of this just makes my respect for Neville sore. We learn that now that Defense Against the Dark Arts is just the dark arts, he practices civil disobedience. He refuses to use the Cruciatus Curse. In some ways, there's something so extraordinary about Neville compared to Harry because he's not chosen. And yet he's still doing this. He could leave. He could leave. Absolutely, he could leave. I mean, of course, there's some sort of poetic justice, if I can just use that phrase, that he has this wonderful letter from his grandmother that says, I'm so proud of you. Keep going. You're your parent's son, right? But that whole episode of Neville in this chapter reminded me of our opening story in the first episode of this podcast, where we talked about that little village in France of Le Chambon sur Lignon, where we where folks were practicing civil disobedience against the Nazi occupation. And I, I it was just such a full circle moment for Neville as a character, but also for us in conversation, because the groundwork was laid from the very beginning in us reading this story to look for this kind of commitment and courage and sense of justice that I, I don't know, I was just really touched by seeing that in action now, although he's a secondary character, that he has this full embodiment of what we've always been interested in this podcast and that we see that in in this chapter. I, I, I just love Neville. I guess that's what I'm saying. Well, and I love, I had never thought of the story of La Chambosse and Lignon as a ju- story of justice. I've always seen it as a story of hospitality, but I think that mm. that is a wonderful additional frame to see that story through. This town was not thinking, how are we going to punish the Nazis when this is all over? They were thinking, how can we create a more just world within this new situation? And I'm just really interested in exploring that idea of justice. And I, I think of it sort of as a meditation, right? That there's this understanding of meditation that you try to count your breaths. And if your mind wanders off of your breaths, you notice it, you like say hello to the thought, and then you let go of the thought and you start over and try to count your breaths again. And I would like to start thinking about moments of injustice as we've been beating our hearts at like a certain kind of justice and counting our breaths. A moment of injustice has happened. Let's notice it to try to change it and try to come back to a form of breathing. And that's what La Chambosse Lignon was doing. And that's what Neville was doing, right? Is like, I've noticed that something is happening. I'm not fantasizing about revenge against the Caros. And I'm not working towards revenge against the Caros. I'm working towards recreating Hogwarts as a unjust place, right? It wasn't a just place before, but as a more just place. I'm trying to return it to more of a place of equilibrium. I'm smiling to myself because I feel like Ginny is telling herself that's what she's doing, right? Cho is the one who's like, oh, I can show you, Harry, where the diadem statue is. And Harry's like, oh, great. Thanks, Cho. And Ginny's like, um, no, Cho will not be doing that. Luna will be showing Harry where it is. And we've pointed to before that, like, Harry has no right to think possessively or, or somehow, like, in an attached way about Ginny, right? He ended it. He left on the mission. And yet here we see... Ginny's still kind of imposing boundaries that would reflect a romantic relationship 
on Cho in a way that I, I feel like Cho has showed up. She's done the brave thing. Like, can we can we not give her a moment to shine of like being useful directly in this way? Ginny's like, no. And <laughs> it feels like I can imagine Ginny like telling herself like that this is somehow a just action when it's maybe not. But the heart wants what it wants. <laughs> she used to date Dean and Harry's not like actually Dean show me. Come with me. Because I don't trust the two of you in the same room. I, I hate this moment of Jenny. It feels really out of character to me. Oh, I love it because it shows that she's human. I'm like, yes, I'm jealous too. <laughs> Would you really think about jealousy in a moment where you're like fighting the Nazis? I think that's when everything shows up. It's like you you think this is a moment where you're going to be like your best self and your bravest self. And actually, you're just thinking about your outfit and how it looks dumb. You know what I mean? Like totally. that is, at least in my experience, so true. No, I find that really compelling that you're simultaneously like I'm here to save the world. And also, does this uniform make me look fat? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, Casper, one last place. And I actually think this is a very Casper comment. But can we talk <laughs> about the architecture of the Ravenclaw room and why everybody yes. doesn't want to be in Ravenclaw? Yes. And like, I don't know if this is about justice, but this room sounds so beautiful and amazing. It's the only airy room in all of Hogwarts. It has like big windows. I'm like, yes. Why don't we all hang out in here all the time? I'm obsessed with that little insight that we have, the views, right? There's these beautiful columns and arches and it's gorgeous. But I also love that we see Luna answering the Ravenclaw question and that it's not just a password that you have to memorize, but it's an actual problem that you have to solve. And so I can just see the way in which, you know, we've, we've talked about our love of different elements of the Hogwarts building, but this is this is one that is always a didactic teaching instrument, right? Like it's always helping Ravenclaw students sharpen their wits and, and train their brains. And just to like have that way of entering a space, I feel like there is, you know, we talked about punishment a lot, but this is kind of like a reward-based system because it incentivizes problem solving. So you get access to the perfect views from on high. And if you can't solve it, you need to have a community moment. Yes. You have to pause and like wait until someone else comes by and then you have to listen to them and learn from them. I know Ravenclaw sounds like the best. I'm anti-house system, but I'm pro-Ravenclaw. Vanessa, we're returning to our original spiritual practice, Lectio Divina, and I'm going to choose a sentence at random and read it aloud to you as we then ask ourselves our four reflective questions. With an enormous effort, he pulled out of Voldemort's mind again. So this is just a snippet of a sentence. It's not even a whole sentence. But let's start with our first level of reading. What What is just narratively happening in this moment? Where are we in the text? With an enormous effort, he pulled out of Voldemort's mind again. So where I think we are is they're in the room of requirement. They're chatting with everybody. They're learning about what's going on. And then Harry is suddenly in Voldemort's mind. And he finds out that Voldemort has realized that another one of the Horcruxes has been captured. And Harry doesn't know where Voldemort is going, if he's coming to Hogwarts or if he's going to the lake. But he pulls himself out of this possession moment and is back in the room of requirement. Yeah, that's exactly right. Like Voldemort is in the Gaunt's house 
and he, he's seeing that the ring is gone. What I like about this, just in terms of where it happens in the text, is it's just after everyone is celebrating the fact that the trio escaped on a dragon. So there's this sense of like escape and movement that's happening in the text. And now even Harry is being like pulled out of Voldemort's mind. So there's this like constant theme of quick escape or quick movement. Let's look at our second layer, which is to think about what this snippet of text reminds us of allegorically. With an enormous effort, he pulled out of Voldemort's mind again. I'm thinking of the Greek myth of Sisyphus, who is rolling this boulder up a hill with enormous effort again and again. Just that sense of kind of a futile, never-ending process, right? Because when he gets to the top, it rolls down and he has to start again. But yeah, I'm just thinking about that kind of effort and the endlessness of it. It reminded me of the diary that came out of Guantanamo Bay in 2015 by Mohamedo al-Salahi. What always stuck with me about the fact of that diary is that he somehow managed to momentarily escape the brutality of the physical situation he was in to this place of meta-commentary where he could write about the situation that he was in. It also reminds me in that same way of the novel Kiss of the Spider Woman, which is about two men who are locked in prison together. And one of them always tells the other about movies he had seen before they got locked up. And so I want to simultaneously honor the brutality of these moments, but also the human capacity to like pull ourselves out for moments and be like, I'm going to tell you about a movie. I'm going to write in a diary we are able to pull ourselves out of these moments, not in a bootstraps way, not in a revolution way, but in a we can pull ourselves into our minds. And that human capacity is just it's incredible. Hmm. Yeah, it's so interesting to think about the difference. I love that example of watching movies, because if you're just watching a movie and like I think a lot of us are watching more things online than, than ever, it's quite a passive thing, right? You just click play and it just happens to you. So it happens without effort. But then in that recollection, as you're saying, especially if you're in a place of distress, I'm just thinking about the different gradations of difficulty of just receiving something passively and then recalling or retelling it in a way, right? That's that's with enormous effort. We see Harry doing that. Yeah. So our third question in Lectio is to think about our own personal experience. What What is something that we've had happen in our own lives that connects with this text? With an enormous effort, he pulled out of Voldemort's mind again. I mean, what it reminds me of is something that I'm sort of going through right now, which is that I really in COVID times have created a space in which I am always inundated with something. The radio is always on, music is always playing, or I'm watching something, or I have something on on the background while I work, or I listen to podcasts while I do the dishes. I am just so careful about constantly inundating myself. And I really want to pull myself out of that. And the only micro step that I've been able to to really institute so far is that I am not allowed to listen to anything in the shower anymore. And I I used to listen just to musicals and like sing along in the shower, but that distracted me from letting my mind wander. And the only other thing that I've managed to do is when I'm waiting for the dog to pee and standing on the balcony, my phone and earphones cannot come out with me. 
And I want to work up to the place where I'm like, I can go on a walk without my earbuds. And I'm just not in that place yet. I look at people in the grocery store, not listening to podcasts. And I'm like, how are you doing this? How are you mentally only in the grocery store? Because I cannot do it. And so it just reminds me of that effort that I'm in the middle of and how scared I am to be in my own company right now. I'm terrified of being in my own company. Oh, I feel like if I'm not playing something, I'm just going to bust out in tears. And so like, I just need to like self-soothe with something that, that takes me away. Absolutely. Yeah. But I've loved my quiet shower time and my quiet balcony time. I really have loved it. So I don't know why I'm like, but I wouldn't want 20 minutes. That would be too much. Actually, everyone in the grocery store who doesn't have earbuds in is just recalling a podcast that they were listening to <laughs> earlier. So don't worry. <laughs> what about you, Casper? What did it remind you of in your own life? You know, the place that my thoughts went to was the real tricky situation when you get wrapped up in how someone else thinks of you. And I had this experience with a really difficult professional relationship where I was just so anxious about a particular boss's perception of me. And I got so wrapped up in their view of the world and of me that I totally lost my own sense of self in that process. And it was just awful. And so I'm thinking about the way in which Harry is getting sucked into someone else's worldview and view of him and and just how hard he has to work to resist that and to come back into his own body, his own experience, his own sense of right and wrong. Yeah. So I guess he's kind of differentiating, right? Where do I begin? Where does Voldemort end? And he has had to practice that so hard in these books. At first, he kind of let himself be taken because he thought it might be useful. Maybe he kind of liked it. And now he's able to have that you know, it's not like he can stop it from happening, but he's able to kind of impose a sense of like, no, I, I'm I'm here. I'm not going to stay with you. Yeah. So that's that's where it's making me go. It's like when you get wrapped up in someone else's thoughts of you and, and just the discomfort, honestly, that that brings. You should every once in a while try to imagine what I think of you. You'd feel so good about yourself. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> Thanks, friend. You'd be like, what does Vanessa think? Oh, Vanessa thinks I'm hilarious, adorable, smart, and empathetic. Oh, yeah, that feels right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's think about our final step of Lectio, which is to think what is the invitation in this text for us today as we're reading it? With an enormous effort, he pulled out of Voldemort's mind again. I mean, mine is obvious. It's like to add one more moment Mm. in my day in addition to shower time and balcony time to like not be listening to musicals or podcasts or audiobooks or any of the 8,000 things I listen to. Sometimes I listen to an episode of Grey's Anatomy and I'm trying to think what it is. I want to get really specific so that like the audience and you, Casper, can hold me accountable. What am I ready to do? I'm ready to do dishes without listening Ooh. to anything. Whew, I don't know if I am. I Okay, let me rephrase. I'm try not, it out. I'm going to try to do dishes yeah. without listening to anything. I'm not ready to, but I'm going to try. I love that. I love dishes because it's like warm water and you see something is clean at the end. Yeah. Yeah. I don't need to listen to NPR while I do dishes. I don't need to. What about you, Casper? What do you feel called to? 
I have been staying up way too late playing Among Us with randoms on the internet. I still don't know what that is. It's this great game. It's like Mafia or Wink Murder, but then you're little aliens on a spaceship. So it's like, it's basically like a whodunit and, you know, you have to figure it out as a group. But it's so satisfying, but also unsatisfying. It's like fast food. Like it was really fun when I was playing with people I knew, right? But now I'm just like at 10.30 being like, let's just play one game of Among Us. And then suddenly it's 12.30. And like, I'm, you know, like running around a spaceship with people I don't know. So I am just not going to do it at night for the rest of this week. I'm going to give that a try. Like, it's fine to play it, but it's one of those things. Like once, once I start, I just play deep into the night and it's not good for me. And I need to find a way of just being like, okay, I can play during the day, maybe on on a lunch break or like, you know, just for a little sliver here and there, but not let it just like (laughs) run into the early hours of the morning. Cause that's when with tremendous effort, you know, I have to get out of there again, just like the text. So that's my that's my invitation, I think, <laughs> on reading this sentence. Vanessa, thank you so much for doing Lectio with me. Thank you. I'm excited about my dishes. <laughs> I'm excited about my earlier bedtimes. <laughs> this week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations. So finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the borough. Download the Redfin app to get started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. For this week's voicemail, we're going to hear from Destiny. Hey, Sacred Text team. I just finished listening to your episode through the theme of loneliness. I listened to it alone in my apartment that I live in alone with my cat in Alaska. 
Well, most everyone in the world who really knows me and loves me still lives an entire Canada away down in the lower 48, which is even further in these COVID times, I think. Um, the episode really spoke to me, as I've really never been more alone than I am now. That difference between being alone and being lonely and the challenge that it can be to have one without the other. I moved here for my first nursing job two years ago, and it's been quite the two years. Figuring out how to be an independent adult, how to be a nurse, and then all the crazy curveballs along the way. An earthquake, a melanoma diagnosis, a global pandemic. That's really just to mention a few. I have gone through more than I would have previously thought that I could handle, but I have handled it. And that fact that I am stronger than I realized, it feels really good. I have bad days and good days, but today is a good one. I've handled more than I thought I could and learned a lot about myself along the way. I find myself pretty awesome, is what I'm saying. <laughs> and so I'm pretty content hanging out with just me. Times are really bad right now. And I am so hopeful for better times to come where we can gather and laugh and hug and just have dog piles with our loved ones. But for now, I rarely feel lonely. I realized that I've been listening to your podcast regularly for four years now, which is insane, though not nearly as insane as those years have been. You guys have been a regular source of peace and joy to me through it all. Thank you. Sending love to you all. Bye. Destiny, thank you so much for that voicemail. I love the reminder that we are stronger than we think we can be. And just thank you for sharing that journey with us that what you have sort of done is fallen in love with yourself, that you've realized that you are as awesome as you are. And thank you so much for serving as a healthcare worker in the pandemic. I just always think about how doctors and nurses, right, they didn't sign up for this and teachers and postal workers and janitorial staff in necessary buildings, right? Like you don't go into these professions thinking that you're putting your life on the line in quite this way. So just thank you for that as well. Thanks, Destiny. And thanks for listening over all these years. We feel the same way. Isn't it wild? Yeah. It's like, it's it's been four and a half years at this point. That's incredible. Vanessa, it's time for us to offer a blessing to a character in these pages. And I'm wondering who you want to bless out of our fabulous potpourri of characters in this chapter. I know. There are so many options in this chapter. It's like just been the trio <laughs> For chapters, it was just Harry and Hermione. And now, like, everyone's back. It's like the chorus has come in at the end of a show, and they're all doing a kick line together. <laughs> That's so real. In the face of death. <laughs> um, but you brought her up, but I'm going to bless Lavender Brown. Mm. She has been shown to us throughout the books as sort of like a silly femme girl who loves this like soft subject of divination, who loves her bunny, who likes Ron too much, right? Like she's always being laughed at. And here she just like shows up as a warrior and like, that's it. 
And it's just nice to see her shown in this other way. And loving bunnies and your first boyfriend in divination is awesome and should have been shown better (laughs) uh, throughout the books. But here she is just showing up with her whole body again. I love her. I love her. I am Lavender Brown. I contain multitudes. That's right. (laughs) She's like, Walt Whitman wrote this poem for me. (laughs) What about you, Casper? Who are you blessing? Well, I want to bless Neville. I know we've talked a lot about him in this chapter, but he is just extraordinary. And there's one moment that really stood out to me, which is that he says... In response to a question from Harry, like, why were you doing these things? Like, obviously, it had no hope of of changing or, or undoing the power of the Carrows. And he says, well, I saw that when I took action or I spoke out, it inspired others too. basically saying, like, I learned that from you, Harry, or I noticed that would happen when you did it in class against Snape, for example. And it just reminded me of this wonderful Australian folk song that tells the story of an indigenous leader, Vincent Lignari. And in the folk song, there's this quote that says, if we should fall, others are rising from little things, big things grow. And it it just, it's such a balm, I think, when it feels like we have nothing left to give. And for Harry, the fight for Hogwarts, you know, for, for the school is done. Like he has moved on to something else. He's had to. But like, as he stepped away, Neville has stepped up. And I I just hope that, a blessing for Neville can be a blessing for all of us that if there are moments when we just can't anymore to know that others are rising to step into the fight or to continue the effort. So that's my blessing for today. That's beautiful. Thank you. You've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and you can find listeners who are discussing the episodes in the Facebook common room. Join our local and virtual groups and come and join the amazing community of people supporting us on Patreon. Check if your credit card has expired, if you're not getting bloopers anymore. Just make sure that you're still signed up. Sign up for Casper's Pilgrimage. It is January 7th through 10th. He will be reading book one and reflecting on how to make 2021 slightly more bearable than 2020 was. Next week, we'll be reading chapter 30. We're coming towards the end, everyone. The sacking of Severus Snape through the theme of chaos. Cannot wait. This episode was produced by Not Sorry Productions. Our executive producer is the fabulous Ariana Nettleman. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Boll, and we're distributed by Acast. Thank you to Destiny for this week's voicemail and everyone who sends in voicemails every week. We love hearing them. Thanks to Julia Argy, Nikki Zoltan, Megan Kelly, and Stephanie Purcell. We'll be with you again next week, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. Check out our website, harrypotterandthesacredtext.com. Harry Potter Sacred Text or and Jesus Christ. Harry Potter's Sacred Text. Check out our website, Harry Potter Sacred Text. No. Yes. Yes. Check out our website, harrypottersacredtext.com to find out more. Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. What? <laughs> no, it's just Harry Potter Sacred Text. I was f- Oh my god. Oh my god. I hate you so much. Oh my god. I'm sorry. That was so mean. That was perfect timing. That was absolutely.